All right, as I start this show, I need to start off with an apology. That's where I need to start. By the way, it's great to be with you for another week. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. It's great to be here with you. So last week, uh, we started off the show talking about the recruiting rankings. Right, that, That's what we talked about last week. And a lot of you got on me, email, social media, talking about the fact that I misinterpreted the rankings and I didn't talk enough about how the transfer portal is a big old, bigger deal and uh, the average recruiting ranking is more important than the total number of points in the recruiting rankings. And those are all true. And if I did a bad job of explaining that, I know I mentioned it, but if I didn't spend enough time on it, then that's on me. I'll take that heat. I do not mind doing it and taking that heat. So I'm here to take it and to admit, yes, um, the recruiting rankings are not even what they were five years ago. They aren't because the transfer portal has changed the game so much. It is such a bigger deal that you can't just look at a team and say, okay, who have they recruited? Who's coming in? And that is kind of it. Like it's, it's so much more than that now. And that's true. And the transfer portal has changed things. I know I talked last week and I heard myself say it, uh, talk about the fact that the total number of points in the recruiting rankings that like 247 sports uses is not entirely the best way to do it because the more recruits you have, the more points you have. So it skews towards that example, Kansas sixth in the big 12 in recruiting their average recruit is an 84.77, which on an average basis would be last in the Big 12. But I will say this too. When you look at the average recruit ranking, the Big 12 has uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the 10 teams outside of OU, Texas, and West Virginia between 84.77 and uh, 86.98. So seven teams within that two-plus point margin. So it's very close. It's very close. And I, I don't say this sarcastically, but if some of you felt like I misled on the recruiting stuff last week, my bad, my bad, all right? And I do admit that the transfer portal is a much bigger deal than it has been uh, given credit for and gets talked about here, especially and including on this show. So we got that out of the way. All right, we're good. We're cool. All right. We're good. All good. All right. Good. Good. And I say that seriously. I love hearing from you guys after the show, uh, email, social media, whatever it might be. Reach out anytime. We're here for you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All right. Some news uh, this week. Matt Campbell agrees to a contract extension with Iowa State through 2028. So this deal is not so much about Matt Campbell having another contract extension, The big deal here is the $3 million in staff improvements, and that's what matters here. It allows Matt Campbell to keep his staff intact. He has done this in previous contract extensions, making sure that his staff is getting a raise and he's got a bigger pool of money for his guys. And that's Matt Campbell just like doing Matt Campbell stuff, for lack of a better phrase and lack of a better word. That's what that is. That's Matt Campbell realizing – I can't do this alone. Like, people think that he does, right? The best coaches never do it alone. Look at what Steve Sarkeesian just did with Texas. He brought a ton of Alabama guys in, knowing that, hey, this staff is a monster staff, and I need some of these guys in Austin. 
You can't win alone. The best of the best can't do it. And Matt Campbell realizes that and realizes to avoid getting his guys post by other programs, he's got to get him more money. He's got to do it. And he's doing it. And Matt Campbell, once again, is putting his money where his mouth is. And he's staying loyal to Iowa State. He is building this program. And you have got to be pinching yourself, Cyclone Nation. You've got to be doing it. I, it's just unbelievable. And, I, you know, I'm not saying that Jamie Pollard didn't do an incredible amount of research and land the right guy in Matt Campbell. And he deserves, obviously, an enormous amount of credit. But boy, sometimes you just step in it and sometimes luck is a factor and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Iowa State and the fan base has nothing to apologize for. Let me be very clear, nothing to apologize for. Uh, But boy, this guy is going to be here as long as he wants to be here. He should be here as long as he wants to be here. And the Big 12 is better because Matt Campbell keeps signing contract extensions. There's no doubt about it. It's incredible what this guy is doing and what he has done. And he will have a top 10 team in the preseason in 2021. He just got to get through those first couple of weeks. I mean, that's where Matt Campbell's got problems, okay? It's not October. It's not. It's typically not November. It's like the first two weeks of the season. All right, you can't be losing to a group of five teams and then losing to Iowa. All right, you got to beat Iowa. Let's take care of that this year, okay? But in all seriousness, it is, uh, it's a breath of fresh air to see a guy like Matt Campbell in the college coaching world and seeing him staying true and loyal to the program that he has uh, been with and has turned into a very successful program. It's so impressive to see, so impressive. Uh, on the basketball front, Wanted to spend a few minutes on this. So we'll talk to our guy, Matthew Poston's coming up in a few minutes and uh, break down the entire Big 12 basketball landscape. So uh, the Big 12 tournament, it was announced this week. The Big 12 tournament's going to go on as scheduled March 10th through the 13th. Still not sure on whether or not the fans are going to be in attendance in Kansas City. Now, I live in Kansas City. We have a very strict health director. The guy's a hypochondriac. He doesn't want to see fans ever in a group of like more than six people ever again, I think, until COVID and the flu are entirely eradicated from the face of the earth. Um, So I have some inside information on that as a Kansas City resident who also hosts a radio show here in town on KCMO Talk Radio. So the health department here is not friendly. They do not want people in the Sprint Center, or I should say the now T-Mobile Center. They let people at Chiefs games this year, but that was because the Chiefs basically said, we're going to have people at games this year, and you're going to let us have people at games this year, okay? The Chiefs run this town. Um, The Big 12 does not. It's also indoors. That plays a factor in this. So I'm hopeful that Kansas City will allow fans to be at the Big 12 tournament, even if it's only a couple or a few thousand better than nothing it's good for the local economy and it's good for the big 12 they can do it they can do it but you know we've had some events here that were supposed to take place at the t-mobile center that recently had been canceled so we'll stay focused on that but more importantly big picture should the big 12 tournament even happen uh, tori cummings writes uh, for the site heartlandcollegesports.com and she posed a very interesting question this past week Should the Big 12 just cancel the tournament? Not because of like, oh my gosh, people are going to die from COVID and it's going to happen in Kansas City at the Big 12 tournament. That's not what she's 
claiming here. That's not her pitch. But her pitch is, while we have these incredibly strict uh, rules and regulations in terms of, you know, COVID and contact tracing and who can play and who can't, is it worth it for the Big 12 to put on this Big 12 tournament and then, you know, God forbid, a team comes up here to Kansas City and one player gets it and they're not keeping track as closely as they should. They're out of town. They're in a hotel. They're, you know, around power and light district. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, uh, what do we do here? We've got a COVID breakout for, let's say, the Baylor Bears who can win a national championship this year. And then the NCAA tournament, which is scheduled to start a week later, what happens then? That's not a situation that the Big 12 or any of these Big 12 teams want to find themselves in. Not just true for Baylor, but anybody that's going to make the big dance. And if there's not going to be a huge impact on seeding in the NCAA tournament, is it worth it? Like, is it worth it based on the strict regulations of COVID and contact tracing that is in college basketball right now to go ahead with this? Because the NCAA tournament is not and should not postpone itself with a 68-team field for one team. It should not do it. Now, I love the Big 12 tournament. I live here in Kansas City. I want to see a Big 12 tournament happen. I will be upset if there is not a Big 12 tournament. But it's an interesting question that she put out there. Because I could understand where a team like Baylor, which, by the way, its next three games are already postponed, so they're not playing for at least a couple of weeks. They'll have uh, five games postponed when all is said and done over this couple-of-week period. Like, if I'm a Baylor fan, I might be thinking about this and saying, you know what, that's not a bad idea. Like, Baylor has nothing to gain. Likely will have nothing to gain by going to Kansas City and playing in the Big 12 tournament next month. It's likely going to be a one seed, barring something unforeseen. So why would they come up here, potentially risk some contact tracing situation, and uh, play in a tournament and then lose out on the NCAA tournament to play in a meaningless conference tournament by their standards. It's a very interesting proposition, and it should get some attention, not just from the Big 12, but maybe all the conferences. And I'm a conference tournament guy, but uh, there's something to be said about this based on how this season has gone and how it's going and how quickly things can turn. So we'll talk about that with Matthew Postens, our Big 12 basketball insider. He's going to be coming up next. Also, much more from around the Big 12 basketball scene on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. And guys, before we get into it with Matthew Postens, please do me a solid after the show ends and uh, leave a rating and a review on this podcast. I'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail when you leave us a rating and a review on iTunes of this show and send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and I will get the koozie in the mail for you guys, which I greatly appreciate. It helps more than you know. So thank you for doing that, guys, um, and enjoy the rest of the show. Well, it's the middle of basketball season, and we do it each and every time this week. We talk to our guy, the best of Big 12 basketball mind, Matthew Postens. He's on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. Matthew, uh, Baylor is still the class of this conference. There's no doubt about it, but they postponed three more games this week. That'll be five games postponed, uh, when at least in a row. When you look at mm-hmm. this program, 
where it is right now. Uh, should there be concern from Baylor fans over this team, which is immensely talented, losing some of its cachet, not playing for two and a half weeks? Um, as far as the polls are concerned, I don't think so. I think you made the point right off the bat. I, I think they're firmly entrenched as not just the best team in this conference, but I think the voters in both polls understand that they're the number two team in the country. I mean, I watched Gonzaga play BYU earlier this week, and, and I think Gonzaga is actually a little bit better than Baylor at this point, but clearly Baylor is better than anybody else aside from Gonzaga in the country right now, in my opinion. I think the thing that I would be more worried about if I were a Baylor fan is you, you're on your third COVID pause this season. Uh, you, you, after your second one, it took Adam Flagler a good couple, three weeks to get going again. So there's a trajectory after you go on a pause. We've seen it at TCU. We've seen it at other schools in the Big 12, West Virginia, where you know, those first couple of games, you struggle a little bit to kind of get things back going. But we've not seen anybody um in the big 12 that has had quite the COVID pause like this i think the only real um comparison that i can think of is, is villanova uh, a school that for about was off for almost a month yep. um, because of a COVID pause in december and january you know villanova well uh and you know they you know after they had their pause they postponed six games in a row but they they've been four and one since then so i think if you're talented enough like Villanova is being the number three or four team in the country, uh, they're, you know, they've shown that you can bounce back from the COVID pause pretty quick. But I would also say Big 12 is a better conference overall than the Big East. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, the reference there, of course, to listeners that don't know, Villanova does happen to be my alma mater. So uh, a lot of pride there. But, you know, Matthew, when you look at, at this conference now, we saw West Virginia beat Texas Tech on Tuesday night. So I think I know where you're going this week, but I like to ask you this every week. It's become a fun uh, part of the conversation that we have. Who is the second best team in the Big 12? Well, I think right now it's West Virginia. And, yeah. uh, and I'm not just basing that on the standings. Uh, I'm basing that on they really seem to have settled into this four guard, one, one inside guy rotation. Um, it was funny. I was watching the, the West Virginia game with Texas Tech earlier this week and and they kept talking about, you know, Sean McNeil's in the slump. Sean McNeil hasn't been playing well. Like, are you looking at Sean McNeil's numbers? The guy's coming off the bench. He's had double figures for the last six games. And, and when he hasn't had a lot of points, it's because Taz Sherman's gone off. I mean, this is a team that has seven or eight good players that they can run in and out of their rotation. And as long as Derek Culver stays out of foul trouble, they, they are the team that I think can give Baylor the most trouble in this conference now. I've kind of felt like it's been Texas Tech for a while. But I think West Virginia has now kind of positioned themselves to where if they ever get the chance to play Baylor, they can give the Bears a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I th totally agree with that. Now, as you're bouncing around this conference and you're saying to yourself, okay, looking around this thing, and, and it seems like, I would say, what do you think, Matthew? Seven teams, when you look around the Big 12, you say to yourself, seven teams in this conference, anybody can beat anybody on a given night, leaving out K-State, uh, TCU and Iowa State. Is that is that a fair analysis? Is that what you would say right now looking at the Big 12? I think that's pretty fair. Um, you know, Even with Kansas being unranked this week, uh, I think they're still good enough to beat anybody on that list. I think they're good enough to beat Baylor. They have to play a really good game to do it, but I think they're good enough to do it. And I think TCU is kind of in that category of depending on the matchup. You know, they, they went into Lawrence a couple weeks ago and nearly beat the Horn Frogs and the own or, or beat the Jayhawks rather. And the only reason they did it was because they were coming off their own COVID pause and they, they were just sluggish. And the only player who was playing well that night was Mike Miles. So, you know, if, if they catch one of those 
top seven teams on a certain night, TCU can be competitive with them. Uh, but yeah, any any of those seven teams, and those are the seven teams that everybody pretty much acknowledges are going to the tournament out of this conference unless something crazy happens. Uh, any given night, I think anybody in that group has the talent to beat any one of those teams. Yeah. Matthew, uh, the Texas Longhorns snap a three-game losing streak on Tuesday uh, when they beat Kansas State. But, you know, K-State gave them a push there uh, throughout that game. So what has changed or what has gone wrong for Texas from being that – you know, top five team basically to losing three and then barely beating Kansas State. Yeah, I think some of it's the COVID pause. And even though it wasn't necessarily their pause, they've been the victim of pauses at Iowa State, TCU, and, and Kentucky. They actually have not had a COVID pause this year. They've had some players who had to sit out due to COVID related protocols, but they actually haven't had their own pause. But, you know, when you look at um, that after the pause, they're one and three after the different breaks they've had to take. Uh, they're one and three right now. And, you know, two of those losses are to ranked teams. One's against Oklahoma State. At the time, Oklahoma State wasn't ranked. I think the biggest thing that I look at right now is that they're not a cohesive unit right now like they were a few weeks ago. Um, Andrew Jones is playing great basketball right now. He's playing out of his mind. But they need Greg Brown to play more consistently on the wing. They need those other two guards to give them just a little bit more. And, and they need – they need the rotation between Jericho Sims and Kai Jones to settle back down a little bit. I think they'll figure it out because there's, there's really too much talent for them not to figure it out at this point. And they've got some games coming up against, uh, you know, TCU and Iowa state where they can kind of figure some of those things out. Uh, but, you know, I, I think by the time we get to the big 12 tournament, I think they will be back in a place where we could, you know, look at them as, you know, a, a legit top 10, top 15 team. You know, Matthew, I don't want to um, not give Oklahoma State enough credit. We're talking to Matthew Poston's our Big 12 basketball guy. But for a team that, you know, mock draft after mock draft seems to have King Cunningham right near the top, either number one or number two, you know, they, they aren't – they're going to be a tournament team like you talked about most likely, but it's not like they're blowing the doors off of people for a team that does have possibly the number one overall draft pick. As much as Oklahoma State basketball has been down, what would qualify as a disappointment for Cowboys basketball? And and would this be it this season? Uh, a disappointment for them this season would, would not be making the NCAA tournament. They're, they're good enough to make it. Now, Cunningham obviously is a tremendous player. Uh, there's been some chatter lately about, you know, I, th- I think Fran, uh, one of the local guys here in Dallas uh, said he didn't see the quote-unquote pop from Cade Cunningham. I don't know if necessarily Cade Cunningham is a poppy player in the sense that you, you that he's going to do stuff like Trey Young did every night when Trey Young was a freshman at Oklahoma. But Cade Cunningham is an exceptionally consistent player, and he plays well. He plays better as the game goes on. So I think he's certainly worth that, you know, first or second or third pick in the draft. What he's done for this team, however, is it's a really young basketball team, and I think people forget about that. This team is mostly made up of the last two classes that Mike Boynton has recruited with the exception of Isaac Likely and a couple of seniors he's brought in as transfers. Cade Cunningham's influence on these younger players, you can see it throughout the year because one or two of them will have a really good game every night and give you something that you weren't quite expecting. And you start to see the pieces come together to where next season, if Cunningham does indeed go to the NBA, which I fully expect him to do, um, he's made those guys better and more prepared for next season than they might have been otherwise. So his influence on this year is, you know, kind of that focal point so the rest of these guys can develop. But come next year, these guys are developing now. They're going to be the pieces they're going to build around next year, and I think they're going to be a better program overall the next two, three years 
for just having Cade Cunningham on campus one year. Matthew, last thing on Kansas. I got a minute here. They've got three winnable games, Iowa State back-to-back, then K-State wrapping up the season, Tech, Texas, and Baylor. Uh, When you look at this Kansas program, we've talked about their issues. Is there any sign that that thing could turn around? And if so, what does it look like? Uh, I I think it's going to be about what you're seeing right now. They showed some nice signs against Oklahoma State. They had five players in double figures. Three players had double uh, double doubles in that game. I think as long as if David McCormick can play at that level every night, that makes the rest of the team's lives a little bit easier because they don't really have that alpha dog offensive guy like a Devin Dotson or a Devontae Graham at the perimeter. So they kind of have to go with the hot hand. They need David McCormick to play consistently every night. Give them a double-double or very close to it and be dominant enough inside to where he can suck up defenders and help kick the ball out to those perimeter players for open shots. You know, their, their next stretch gives them an opportunity to get right before they get into three ranked games to end the season against Tech and Texas and Baylor. So, you know, this is their opportunity for Bill Self to, to you know, calibrate the chemistry and get them ready for that last stretch. I think they're going to the NCAA tournament no matter what, but it might be an eighth or ninth seeded Kansas if things don't go the way they're hoping. He's Matthew Postens. Matthew, great to have you on, man. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Thanks, Pete. Let's wrap up the show with who stays and who goes. Coaches in the Big 12 Conference. That's coming up next. So when it comes to stability in the Big 12, there is a lot of it and more than other conferences, which I appreciate. But I'm not sure that's going to be the case uh, in the basketball side of things. Pete Mundo with you. Final few minutes on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Always great to be here with you. So I'm looking at uh, Kansas State and Iowa State in particular, right? And I'm saying to myself... How does Bruce Weber and how does Steve Prohm, how do these guys keep their jobs? I'm genuinely curious how they do it. And I don't like to talk about coaches getting fired. I don't like to sit here and say coaches deserve to be fired. But in the end, you have a job to do and you have to do that job well. You get paid a lot of money to do that job. And if not, somebody else has to do that job, right? That's that's just that's how it's got to go. Um, and we'll start with Steve Prohm for Iowa State, who is at this point in time sitting in a 0-9 position in the Big 12 and 2-12 and overall. And I know you can find some bright spots and you can say, look at what uh, Rasir Bolton is doing. And I mean, that's a good deal. And he's looking good. And uh, look at Javon Johnson. And, you know, all right, maybe there's some optimism there. But still, Steve Prohm is a guy who took over a program that was a consistent top 25 program. That's what they were under Fred Hoiberg. And if you look at the last few seasons, right, I mean, outside of the Big 12 tournament win, uh, which came two years ago now, it feels like a lifetime ago, right? Doesn't that feel like a lifetime ago? You got to go back two years to the 2018-19 season. Like, where else are you looking and saying to yourself, and by the way, that team then lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Like, they had the hot hand in Kansas City the week prior, and it took them nowhere. They were a mediocre team all year. They went 9-9 nine and nine in the Big 12, and then they lose in the first round. So that momentum didn't carry over. Where else are you looking and saying, gee, Steve Prohm really's uh, done a lot, or he's exceeded expectations? Like, you, you can't make that case anywhere. 
they're not going to make the Big 12, or they're not going to make the NCAA tournament this year. It's not going to happen. So that'll be four seasons since they've won an NCAA tournament game, since 2017, which they, you know, won the first-round matchup against Nevada and then lost to Purdue the next game, next time out. So it's going to be at minimum five seasons between NCAA tournament wins. I don't think that's where Iowa State basketball is. And I don't think that's where it deserves to be. And Kansas State, you look at that program right now under Bruce Weber. I know that uh, a couple of weeks ago, athletic director Gene Taylor uh, said that the intention is to bring back Bruce Weber. How do you do that? Like Bruce Weber, if you look back, he is living off, living off the Elite Eight appearance where they lost to Loyola Chicago three seasons ago now, three years ago now, 2018 NCAA tournament. He's living off that. And here's the, here's the problem for Bruce Weber. Like sometimes in basketball, you get a really good team. The guys blossom faster than you expect. They leave early for the NBA, and it's like, whoa, we never saw that come, and I can't believe it. That's not the case here, right? That, that's not the case. Bruce Weber has had to do two major rebuilds the last few seasons, and neither of those rebuilds should have caught him off guard. Neither of them should have caught him off guard. Yet both apparently have. And I know you want to look at this and say, well, there's some, you know, young talent he's got to work with and work around. But it's been just a, it's a horrible, horrible management job that this program has done. Not realizing, hey, we got a rebuilding job here coming up in a couple of seasons. Let's make sure that we're pounding the recruiting trail to make sure that we're getting guys geared up. And we have a couple of high impact players who can play right away. It's nice to have guys who by junior, senior year turn into something, but what are you going to do? Lose every conference game for two years and be like, hey, we're building for next year. Like Kansas State has a good basketball, um, good basketball background history, right? Maybe young K-State fans don't realize that. And I'm not saying I'm an old one and I'm not a K-State fan per se, but following this conference, K-State fans will tell you that this program has a rich basketball history and they're right to say that especially for a place like manhattan kansas that's not a slight at manhattan kansas but they're not exactly growing top-notch basketball players in manhattan kansas they got a nice basketball history and what you're seeing this year for kansas state is unacceptable all right they you know came within a whisker of texas on tuesday night but that's that's not enough they have not shown me enough. So I don't like to sit here and say, this coach got to be fired. This coach got to be fired. Like, I don't, I don't do that on this show. But what I am saying, what I think is a fair critique, is that for the stability that has been in place in the Big 12, which has been there, right? It's been there for a while in this conference. When you look at the uh, basketball turnover from a head coaching perspective, there's not been much of it the last few seasons. There hasn't been any of it the last few seasons. So when you look at that, you say, okay, how long will this last? And I think it's fair right now to look at Kansas State and Iowa State and wonder, are these two guys, Steve Prohm and Bruce Weber, going to be back in 2021, 2022? And more importantly, do they deserve to be back in 2021 and 2022? And I don't see how you sit there right now and make an overwhelming case that they should be outside of, well, they deserve another year for a rebuild. Eh, they're good guys. Eh, this, I mean, how do you do it? How do you do it? Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the site. It's always good to have you on board here as we take you through another week. And by the way, if you're with me in Kansas City or anywhere in the upper Midwest area, 
Uh, you know, I'm jealous right now of those of you in uh, southern Big 12 country, like the bottom half of Texas, where apparently it's still a nice balmy 60, 70, 80 degrees. Uh, in Kansas City, we've got a high of one degree this weekend on Saturday, a low of minus nine. All right. So it is horrible. It's absolutely horrible. It stinks. I hate everything about it. Absolutely everything about it. I can't stand. Uh, did you know, by the way, that in the class of 2022, the Oklahoma Sooners and the Texas Longhorns have the number one and number two running backs in the country committed for next season? Now, things can change. We can have decommitments and everything else. But the number one running back prospect in the class of 2022, Raleigh Brown, committed to Oklahoma last week. Made the announcement official at every big-time offer, LSU, Georgia, Oregon, Michigan, Alabama, USC. And the running back out of Santa Ana, California, has picked the Oklahoma Sooners. Top 35 player in the country. I mean, that is a great pickup for Oklahoma. And then Jadon Blue, the number two running back per rivals in the class of 2022, committed to the Texas Longhorns in the last couple of weeks. Top 60 player nationally per 247 sports. So, you know, all these recruiting outlets have them either one, two, or three. But that is impressive stuff. And everyone thinks of the Big 12, and what do they think of? Oh, well, that's just like they throw the ball all over the place. And it's like, oh, they've got some nice wide receivers, but they've got no bodies in the offensive-defensive line. they got uh, no linebackers, no running backs. Well, that's been changing for many years for those of us who pay attention to this conference. And now you're starting to see that play out on the recruiting trail. And yes, it's OU in Texas, and they should be recruiting these guys. So I'm not patting them on the back too much. But I will, to their credit, sit here and say that for the Big 12 to beat out the SEC for the top two running backs in America in the class of 2022 is pretty damn impressive and should be talked about and should, you know what, uh, should be celebrated. All right, because this conference is doing better every year, and it's becoming a more complete and well-rounded conference, and that's been happening for the last four to five seasons for those of us who pay attention. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. It is always, always, always great to be with you guys each and every week. This podcast takes no time off. We are here with you every single week. Please take a moment to leave a rating and a review once the show ends. It does help so much. We are sending out free Heartland College sports koozies. If you leave me a rating and a review and send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys enjoy the rest of the week. We'll talk to you soon.